Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers, using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like School districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice? curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone. Welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Hello, Marnie. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Ashley. So why don't you start off by just giving your, giving my audience a little introduction about yourself, a little bit about your history, professionally, personally, and then what you're doing now. Thank you. I am doing what I'm doing now, which is called Reading Simplified, a business to teach teachers how to streamline their instruction and accelerate their students' reading achievement. I'm doing this now because I was a middle school teacher in the 90s whose kids were reading on average two years below grade level, and I didn't know what to do about that. And I was pretty annoyed, <laughs> frustrated, and I went everywhere trying to find answers. This is when in the early days of the internet, so it was a lot of library and book stops, bookstore stops. And I, your audience may be able to relate. I found very con contradictory answers about what to do. And some things I tried did not work. Some things I read about just didn't seem to make sense because I could realize that my kids were getting to a word that they didn't know and they didn't have the skills to attack it. So I, I deduced that it was really a decoding issue, cracking the code so that they could read words. That was at least the foundational block for them. I finally found a program in, in a book called Reading Reflex, which is the program Phonographics. And I tested it on two of the kids that were I was most concerned about. They were not even reading at the first grade level. And they were in sixth grade. So they'd been failing for seven years of school in terms of reading. And it started working immediately. And they ended up after a couple months of that when I didn't even really know what I was doing at the third grade level. So that kind of set me off on a whole new another path of obsessing about why is it that I didn't know what to do? A lot of people don't seem to know what to do. And yet, I didn't solve their problem because they were still behind grade level, but I made a big difference with a little bit of effort as a non-expert. Why is this disconnect coming from? And so I've been obsessing about more efficient and effective ways of teaching reading ever since. That led to private tutoring. That business blew up because there was such a need in my community where they were teaching balanced literacy at the time, which is not, a, at least in terms of the word reading module of how kids learn unfamiliar words, that's not an efficient approach. And then I was getting success with my students, but their teachers were telling them to not do what I was doing. Let's look at the letters inside of words. They were telling them to look at the picture or make a guess. And so I went to the University of North Carolina thinking, I'm going to do research on this because this is perplexing. And then I realized, oh, we have the research. This is not a good practice and it's well known to researchers, but it's just not disseminated. It has become more of my role ever since then. As I was a doc student, I had a unusual chance to develop a reading intervention for kindergarten and first grade struggling readers and their teachers. That re went really well. Researchers have continued to study it at the University of North Carolina and beyond because the federal government keeps giving money towards that because it does show efficacy. It's even on the What Works Clearinghouse. It's called the Targeted Reading Intervention. And that was very exciting. I learned a lot, got to read the research and also see how it interplayed with teachers that we were watching because we were watching them on webcam back in the day before Zoom was even invented. <laughs> and there were like many studies that kept showing that this was effective. 
and efficient, but nothing happened except in the schools we were doing the research in. Nobody came knocking on our door saying, what is it that you're doing? We want to spread this to our school because we're not getting good outcomes. So when my husband moved to another state, we I just decided to try more of a grassroots approach and developed Reading Simplified, which is what I'm still doing today. So this is grassroots model, a business model, instead of disseminating professional learning to people that are on the job, don't have a lot of time. And we take some of those principles from what I learned at the targeted reading intervention, where you need to, if you're going to learn something new, you need to put it into practice with a real child right now and then reflect on it with, on your own, and hopefully with experts. And so that's how people put our system into play. And we've had about 12,000 people learn the Reading Simplified system wow. all over the world. And it keeps growing. And it's been a joy to lead that. And it's also kept me very busy. <laughs> That's incredible. Such good work. I don't think I told you, we just chatted for a long time and I don't think I told you, but reading has been like a big focus for me over the last year. I'm just seeing reading. Honestly, I do so much in the ID community, students with intellectual disabilities and cognitive impairments. And I am seeing that reading is the pathway to Schools kind of manipulating things to put kids into self-contained classrooms and more proactively reading as the pathway for parents to continue to pursue inclusive environments for their children. And wow. so that's really the motivation behind it for me. But we've also continued to really want Jack to develop as a reader. And so unlocking that for him has been cool. So let's talk about this concept of the science of reading. And I think maybe we should do it in the context of balanced literacy, structured literacy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because I think that's like kind of, it sounds like the, as you were going on this journey and they're like, look at the picture, look at the, the can you get from the first letter what that word might be, what might make sense? I don't know, by the way, have you listened to the podcast Sold a Story? Yes, I highly recommend everyone in your audience listen to it if they haven't already. It's amazing. And, and it really helps if, explain all these kind of things. Like, how could we have gotten to, to, into this mess? And even if you're like us, that you always knew that there was a different, like a better way to teach reading. I remember my mom being a first grade teacher and coming home and being like, they want for me to put a post-it note over the word and then be like, what do you think this word might be? And she's like, this is dumb. And my mom was using sand trays even back in like the 80s to get the multisensory component to reading. So it's so interesting to me that like we fell down this path of balanced literacy. So why don't you maybe talk to people about the science of reading within that context? Right now we're speaking in a foreign language. <laughs> yeah, science of reading is it's a movement that is really three to four years old, maybe a little bit before that, but it's grown with a lot of eyeballs on it just in the last three to four years, partly because of the work of Emily Hanford, a journalist who really uncorked this lie, as she says, that the way we're doing things is better. And, and she revealed it's not in alignment with the research. She did that first through audio documentaries, podcasts, and then now the a six series podcast called Sold a Story. Other things that were happening at the same time is the read, a nonprofit group called the Reading League got started trying to disseminate scientific evidence to teachers of reading. A lot of moms usually and who of dyslexic children banded together in multiple states, like with groups called Decoding Dyslexia, to get laws changed. And so that is this movement to bring awareness to 
the educators and the school community, but also the public at large about this very large body of research that points to how the brain learns to read. And the brain learns to read by being taught explicitly how our code works. And when we send kids away from print and not looking at every little part in the word as their primary strategy, they actually develop very inefficient and ineffective brain pathways. You can even see brain scans of poor readers. Their brains are, it appears as if they're lighting up in these brain scans on the right. And a good reader, their brains seem to be lighting up on the left. That's where we know a good reader is going to be developing their her skills is with the phonological processing on mostly on the left side and recognizing the words mostly on the left side. And so there's a, it's just needs to be known that there's this huge body of evidence, but publishers and many universities leading reading advocates have not been acknowledging this research and they, university folks, they will get in their silos and talk amongst themselves on one side of the continuum and cognitive psychologists, neurologists, special educators, speech and language people, they will be on another silo really. And neither the twain shall meet. And so we've gotten to a terrible place where teachers for decades have been told Let's do what you said. Let's cover up the word and help them make a prediction. That is a useful skill for someone who already knows how to read the word. So when you come to the word W-I-N-D, you're going to say either wind or wine because you know how to read. Then you can use context to figure out, is it the wind will blow through the trees or I wow, I'm going to wind the string around the thread, the needle. Context comes second. But in the balanced literacy community, we've been putting it at the forefront as this, as if it's the primary motive. And so we don't that, know how to read. And yeah. they don't know how to read. If you're only guessing, you don't know how to read. And there's also this concept of shape of words, which again can be very helpful if, you know, you it's a sight word or just a word you just can't get, then sure, you're going to an exception. word. Yeah. That's an exception, but not the rule. But kids for so long were taught to look at the shape of a word and how many people actually have a really strong visual profile where that's just going to click for them. Yeah, I believe researchers say that no one can do it. There's You could memorize about two, 3,000 words potentially from the visual array only, which is a huge lift. Yeah. Uh, you have to be pretty gifted I to can't. do that. Let me tell you, I can't. It would maybe take a decade. And I have seen students who, in the, because they're in this environment, they have had to learn a lot of words based on the visual array, but then they're so struggling and there's so many things that drop out when they're reading. And of course, their spelling is atrocious. But it's so much easier if you just teach them the code and then the brain recognizes that not as just a visual collection of shapes, but it recognizes that code and it stores it in a different place in the brain. It's called orthographic mapping. And it's really amazing that we can learn. You attack a word, you decode it, and you maybe see it one, two, three, four, five times. And then it becomes something you recognize in a split second. If I flash this word in front of you, you not read it unless you've had some brain injury. It's amazing that you can do that. And we can do that far faster than we can process visual images. So scientists yeah. are very clear that these are different processes. And so we know that we need to build the processes that work. 
And that is cracking the code. And just to wrap this up, I, there are many, actually, there are many good practices in a balanced literacy environment. But what I think is, in terms of the early years, what is most important to understand is that the model of word learn, which has been called three queuing, is not in alignment with the research. It could be very damaging for many children. Some children will find their way through it, but it's in spite of it. They yeah. crack the code underneath the surface or with mom at home, something like that. Or maybe they have just a natural aptitude, they figure it out. So when we can, if we can take that three queuing model out and help teachers understand how to teach kids how to crack the code, recognize letter sounds and put them together and develop the phonemic awareness skills, which is the perception of individual sounds and words. So if they read the word down as dome, which is fairly reasonable if you're a beginner, they need to play around with the sounds and say, oh, it's not, don't, not a word. I'm going to pull out that O, try something else. Oh, ow, down. Oh, okay. And then they're off to the races. And that is the integration of our, of our existing language system, which includes hearing sounds and words, phonology, and the print the spelling, the D-O-W-N, and putting those pieces together in a playful way. And kids learn how to read a word and then they read it a couple of times and then it becomes a word that they recognize by sight and they're off to the races, building more and more words in their vocabulary through their written vocabulary knowledge bank. So good. I mean, it, and it really is that simple. And I think, so I think, you know, this the concepts of the science and reading are more familiar to parents, frankly, because this is the way that most of us were taught how to read, or at least people in pockets. It's been very varied in our history. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So yeah. I I think I'm 44. I tried to think of that the other day, but I don't. I 44, 45, and I'm like at the end of Gen X, beginning of the millennials, and I think that's like exactly where balanced literacy started to create. Right way into schools, which is interesting. But let's talk about the components to science of reading. So let's talk about like phonological processing, phonemic mm -hmm. awareness. I'll, I don't know if you do it using the rope or like what it makes sense, but I realize this is a really broad question, but let's start diving. No, I think it's an important one. And I and part of my, what I try to do is break things down. Don't say it in, in 30 seconds, but I hope that I can come up, no. I can, can, connect with your audience in a more efficient way. So science of reading is very broad and it would include certainly how we read words, which is really my area of expertise. And that's where most of our kids are tripping because of this three queuing thing. But it also includes way more than that, like how the difference between reading online or reading a book or where vocabulary intersects. So it's a very broad field. But zeroing in specifically on the question of what does the science tell us about how the brain learns to read? I think I can help with a model of that. Some people talk about the simple view of reading. Some people talk about Scarborough's rope. But when you don't have a visual in front of you, um, maybe I can build a different one. This is also helps me more thinking in terms of how to diagnose a problem. So imagine a circle, and that will represent oral language. Really, reading begins with oral language. That would include various skills like vocabulary knowledge, understanding of syntax, sentence structure, even social expectations for how to respond to someone in language. So that's our circle. And if you don't have language, then it's very hard to read words because that we build our knowledge of reading words off the backs of language. So we start there. And that's important for people who have young kids when they're not ready to teach them to read words. You're building them into readers when you're building into their language system. But 
how to read words is where, again, we fall down so many times. So let's talk about that. Imagine. Uh, By the way, Marnie, I, that made me a very talkative mom. I just tell it license to just be myself. I call it a language rich environment. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And what I did was I stressed my firstborn out, I think, because I was trying to read and sing songs, read nursery rhymes, flashcards that hurt. Like, and then my second one, I was too tired. And yeah. so she was less stressed. She didn't have that mid-afternoon crying. I always wondered, it was like, how language rich do we need to be? <laughs> anyway. Oh my gosh. Um, yes. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted. Yes. So self-deprecating. So the circle is the language. Inside the circle, imagine a triangle. Okay. And the triangle has a few different levels. So the bottom of the triangle is sound-based decoding. And that is what I was talking about earlier with cracking the code. When the child sees the word that look that's spelled S-A-T, she needs to crack that code. That first squiggle is s-s-s. the second squiggle is a, ah. the third squiggle is t, and she needs to put those sounds together or blend them, sat to decode it to then know that, ah, oh, it sounds like sat. And now I also know the meaning because I'm this triangle of recognizing words is within this circle of language. So that is how we begin to read words. As I mentioned earlier, you decode a word once, twice, if you have a difficulty with reading like dyslexia, maybe it's 50 or 100 times, but at some point that word becomes a word that you recognize in a split second or becomes a sight word, a word that is so easy to read that, like I said, you can't even not read it. So then that builds into the second layer of the triangle. After sound-based decoding at the bottom, then you build into word identification, words you recognize in a split second. Those are sight words. And then you have to recognize a lot of those words to become fluent, which is the third level. And once you're fluent and you recognize a lot of words in a split second, then you're more likely to have comprehension, which is the peak of the triangle. And all those pieces work together. It's the triangle of recognizing words is still within that larger circle of comprehension. We're always integrating little spellings on the page with the meanings. If we're doing a good job building our reading networks, it's all interrelated. But what's important for teachers or parents to understand is the triangle is the upper levels is what we may be wanting to accomplish, but it's dependent on the foundations. If you have a fluency problem, that third level of the triangle, it could just be a fluency problem, but it could be more likely to be a word identification problem. You don't recognize a lot of words automatically, or it could be a sound-based decoding problem. You've still not really got strong word attack skills. You can't crack the code. Maybe you can crack the code okay, but not great. And it's and reading is a game of speed. Like You have to be able to decode rapidly, and then those words become automatically recognize that's our second level of the triangle because you've recognized so many words automatically then you become fluent there's more to it than that but these are some of the major players in the reading network that we're building when we're helping our children become good readers i love that i love that visual and i love that explanation because i'm thinking of as you were talking i was thinking of a thousand meetings i've been at where the teachers have said we just don't have the fluency and i'm like but can we get back down to the foundational skills and i think another important thing of the visual and i'm like the least visual person that you know because i'm actually legally blind each thing 
gets smaller as we go up the triangle so, because it becomes more natural. So we have to work on decoding. We have to crack the code. And that is a huge part of the triangle. It's the biggest part of the triangle, in fact, because and that is also surrounded in our general con conceptualization of language, all of language. I know a lot of and students. And you're always building that for the rest of your life. So that domain right. never really stops being built. Yeah. Yeah. I two things were coming into my head. Of course, all those meetings, but then also I know a lot of speech therapists that have really taken interest in reading and are tutoring and reading for that for that reason. And the other thing is my oldest is a voracious reader. He cannot, he until middle school, he could not get enough reading. And what's fascinating is he puts all kinds of syllables together to make new words and all kinds of, he's a terrible speller, which is a thing. Um, but he puts things together. And I think it's because he just loves language. Yes. So he just like tacks a lot of syllables together and it's stuff that makes sense, but they aren't words. And like, I was a German teacher. I love language. I just love how reading and language are tied together. Those two kinds of things are, those could each be podcasts in and of themselves, but this is what we do. We just geek out about this around here. <laughs> So let's talk about this. I like to give my audience skills and tools to advocate because that's what we're all about here is communication and collaboration at the IEP team. So the question is, how can parents advocate for more effective reading strategies at school? And I know that your answer is going to say, sometimes you have to explain that, which was the answer to the last question. Mm -hmm. But what have you seen that has worked at schools? I, yeah, you basically answered the question for me. Um, Sorry. <laughs> I'm just teasing. So if you think about, if you, you really want to get to the bottom of what the child's true issue is and then deal with that. And that's right. not something that all of our schools are doing a great job at right now here in the U.S., so like you said, you just give a great example. This is ubiquitous. You'll have a fifth grader and they don't pass. They don't do, they don't get a great, a good score on the end of grade test. And it's a comprehension test. And so then the teacher says, your child has a comprehension problem. And so then they give comprehension interventions. And that's probably not going to be a problem because you could always be working on comprehension for the rest of your life. But is it really the root cause? So most of the time I practice as a tutor, I, it's not the root cause, especially if, or if the overall circle, the oral language system is fairly functional, usually there's something beneath the surface. So we got to go down to the bottom. So if you think about the bottom of the triangle, sound-based decoding, a good measure to demonstrate whether that system is functioning well is a nonsense word test. In assessment language, a lot of times it'll be considered a word attack. So if can you find that word attack measure for your child and determine is that at grade level? I actually like to see it a little bit above grade level because it's, as you said earlier, it's so essential for getting the whole system to function well. Yeah. And if you don't have that kind of assessment, ask for it. We also have um, some resources at readingsimplified.com that are free, and they're not as rigorous as a standardized measure, but it could give you something. Then the next layer of the triangle. Okay, go ahead. Were you going to say well, something? Well, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's really helpful and something that you were like, is it okay if I say this? I think it's really appropriate to put in here. A lot of parents don't know. It's wonderful that businesses like yours are putting these things out there, right? Like it is amazing that 
we are helping parents to figure this out, but it still is intimidating and overwhelming to parents. Yeah. So at some point, it I truly believe that it is important to consider, and there's many factors that go into this, but getting outside help, an evaluation or yes, a tutor absolutely. or some professional, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you're not getting that, if you don't get the assessment data from the school, no matter how hard you push, what legal levers and statutes you point, you demonstrate to them, if it's not working, then yeah, going outside is really helpful because it's the information that's going to get you closer to what the child truly needs. And so I, it's just a really nice, easy rule of thumb. If you don't know if their foundational triangle of the word process, word identification system is working, then give them a nonsense word test. The second level is the word identification level. So that's, do they recognize words in the split second that they should have already learned? So you could just give them a list of words and many, this would be a word identification test in many assessments, standardized assessments. Again, we have one that's in the public domain that if you don't have a standardized measure. So a nonsense word for the first level of the triangle, a word identification test for the second, and then the third level would be an oral language, or rather oral reading fluency measure. How many words can the child read in a minute? Fluency is more than just reading rate, but reading rate is a very strong indicator of fluency functioning pretty well. And well, so, and accuracy you've already tested in the previous. Yes. Realm. So if you've so already tested that, then yeah. Yeah. And, but it could still be a speed thing. It could be a tracking left to right thing. It could be a, not, a fluency interacts tremendously with language systems. So there, you might hit something there that is not diff the same thing as just recognizing words rapidly, but usually it is just mm -hmm. recognizing the words rapidly. And then comprehension is the, the top part of the triangle. Again, a standardized test would be a passage comprehension measure. You could also just give the child any um, pretty solidly grade level text and ask them to read a section of it and then check for comprehension. And comprehension is usually considered about 70% accuracy of the facts of the text. So those are, or if you have most states, there were, and many districts, there already are standardized measures for comprehension that the child yeah. is taking. So that is probably something you have access to. Yeah, even outside of the special education framework, but then just dig down. And so if once you know what the problem is, then can you advocate for that to be resolved? So can we get a good evidence-based intervention for sound-based decoding? You're telling me it's comprehension, but I have this proof that my child is a fifth grader, but their word attacked, their nonsense word reading skills at the second grade level. This is the root of the problem, or at least a first foundational root of the problem. That's what you want to solve first. And, yeah. and so then find the match for the thing that's missing and finding that match is one thing and then getting them to apply it into school is another. So there are many layers to this situation at Reading Simplified. We really excel at that sound-based decoding level to build into word identification, to build into fluency. There are other programs that are, that do a good job of that as well. So try to get your hands on something like that and then persuade if you can, if it's not already available for the school to provide it because your child is not the only one that needs it. Absolutely. Why don't we wrap up here by telling people how they can find Reading Simplified and how they can find out more about either getting trained themselves or asking for their teachers to get trained because we know it's so effective. And tell us where to find you. Thank you, Ashley. You can find us at readingsimplified.com. And the training approach that we use is called the Reading Simplified Academy. 
And so you can find that in the learn section on our readingsimplified.com website. We provide the way of any teacher or parent learning the Reading Simplified system through the academy. And it consists of about nine hours of video in which you go through our system, which is just a simple three-part lesson plan framework of rereading for fluency, a handful of word work activities, and guided oral reading. So as you are going through this main course, you learn about one of our core activities, say a word work activity, switch it. You learn about it. You get the materials. You go try it out with your child. And then you reflect on it in our teacher's lounge, which is an online discussion board. Then you repeat that cycle of reflective learning. You learn the new activity, which would be called read it. And then the next day you work on both switch it and read it with your child, reflect on it in the teacher's lounge, and you go through this cycle. And this is a very powerful, in fact, evidence-based way of learning, whether you're a teacher or a parent, because there's a lot of information that's new and job embedded professional learning is the best. And even if you don't think of this, if you're a parent, you don't think of this as your job, take the insights from research, doing it. Taking knowledge and putting it into practice with a real child, your own, is going to be the most powerful way to unlock how the system works. And that's what we provide in the Reading Simplified Academy, just that ongoing support in a streamlined system. And it's fairly economical as compared to many other approaches for learning how to systematically teach decoding. So we invite people to check it out. And one way to check it out is to try the activity Switch It, which is a real hook for many of our kids. It's a game where they play around with sounds and words and it's easy to implement and it's really powerful what it does, but it's also fun. So you could go to readingsimplified.com forward slash switch dash it to get free guide and letter sound cards and get yourself started with that. Play um, play the game for about five or seven minutes and see if that's applicable. And it would be applicable for your child if that bottom triangle isn't super strong. The bottom of the triangle, the sound-based decoding, that really targets that and builds up that skill. So good. So good. So fun. Gosh, this was very helpful. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my privilege. Thanks for all these good questions.